Season 1, Episode 5, Cinnamon's Wake. Lorelai and Max confess their feelings, while Rory keeps running away from her own. Things start to move forward, but everything is halted by the loss of a very beloved neighborhood cat, Cinnamon. Stars Hollow. I'm your host, Rachel Foss. With me today is my very good friend, Jillian. Jillian, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your relationship to Gilmore Girls? Well, I never watched Gilmore Girls when it was on. I think I was maybe a little bit too old. I was about 20 when this show came out. So I never watched it. It seemed a little boring. There weren't any monsters and nobody was fighting with swords. So it just wasn't my shtick. Yeah, that's it. I have seen one episode of this show. (laughs) Well, this is going to be pretty uh, interesting with that. So I'm extra glad that you're here with me today. I have a lot of feelings about fashion. Good. (laughs) What have you been watching this weekend? Anything good? Um, uh, The usual, which is... Drag Race, just all the seasons of Drag Race, all the time. Drag Race Canada wrapped up this week for all of the people who are interested in that, but it was excellent. Sounds great. I think the best thing I watched this past week was Class Action Park on HBO Max. Oh, yeah, how was it? It is wild. I mean... I remember hearing about that place when I was young. I'd never heard of this place. But the thing about the documentary is like, I know people died and I am very sorry. And I take that very seriously. But that documentary is hilarious. I've heard that said that like, it's pretty light, but also it kind of switches gears pretty quick to like, by the way, people died. It was very fascinating. And the whole time I was just like, what? My darling, I, and again, I'm a little bit older than you, but it makes a substantial difference in the level of giving the fuck about, like, personal safety kids. I still have a hip injury at 40 years old that I got at, like, 7 or 8 because my dad would take us to this trampoline park. Wow. And it was fun as hell. It was in Arizona where there remains no law. (laughs) Anyway, are we going to talk about this show? Yes. Let's get into our episode today. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Episode 5, Cinnamon's Wake, aired November 2nd, 2000, written by Daniel Palladino. Oh, that's who's responsible for this shit. Noted. We open this episode at the Gilmore Mansion. It's Friday night. Cousin Claudia is dead and Richard is in Germany. Why is Richard in Germany? In the show, because of work. But in real life, because Edward Herman is not officially a recurring cast member. His contract states he didn't have to be in every episode of each season. Plus, he was also very expensive because he was an extremely high caliber actor. Despite having not really seen the show, but I do know who the saw him in the opening credits, and I'm like, oh, him. He's a very notable character actor. This kind of jumps right into the first real offensive thing that was said, which is, oh, you're in Germany, must be Nazis. If you tell a German person that, oh, wildly, wildly offensive. 
Oh, I agree. I didn't think it was funny back then, and I don't think it's funny now. I especially don't think it's funny now because we live in the United States, 2020, and now we have to worry about real, actual Nazis again. Yeah, actual Nazis running our country. It's pretty rough. Well, Jillian, this is your very first introduction to the Gilmore Girls. What do you think so far? Lorelai, I feel, acts very young for her age. Rory, I feel, acts very young for her age. And also has, like, a little susan of baby talk with that talk, aside from the baby face, which I also, at 15, had a bit of a baby face. But I was full-on jailbait, and that was a crazy thing. Yeah, but that was you. I was actually just like Rory. In fact, I always refer to my high school self as very Magoo. No, and I'm coming from a different spot. Like, the things I was doing at 15 and 16 would curl your hair. Like, crazy, crazy. Emily wants them all to go to Claudia's funeral together. Like, it's a family picnic or something. But Lorelai can't get away from the inn, especially for someone she didn't know. First say she had to work. First she was bitchy about it. Well, because she doesn't know who Claudia is. I know, but you can be nice to your mom. Jesus Christ. My mother would ask me some dumb shit too. She'd be like, oh, let's go to the, you remember this one. I'd be like, no, I have no idea who that was. But I'm a nice child and we're adults. So if you want me to go, I'll go. Yeah, well, Lorelai, just like myself, is not as good of a daughter as you are. Either way, Emily tries to explain. Emily says they went to Claudia's for the moon landing because she had just gotten a new Philco. A Philco was the top of the line television. I don't even remember that. Yeah. Wow. From the 60s. That's how they watched the moon landing. So they were very excited about it. Also, let's do a little bit of math here real quick. July 20th. 1969 was the historic moon landing. Lorelai Gilmore's birthday is April 25th, 1968, which means she would have been one years old and three months. So it's really unlikely that Lorelai would have ever remembered who Claudia was. Fair, but I mean, that's just a mom thing. Being like, oh, you remember them, but like, I don't know who the fuck that is. I bet they were lovely. If you would like me to accompany you to this funeral because your husband is away, which I know about already, I would happily volunteer my services to escort my mother to a funeral she clearly wants to go to, despite me knowing them. See, this is where we differ again, because you have a much better relationship with your mother than I have with my parents, and I would not do this. I have some other feelings about this particular seat. Let's go to the note. So, number one, does grandma have a job? No. She wears full-on suit to dinner in her own home on what seems like a weekday. Like, it seems like a chill dinner. And she's wearing, like, a full-on suit. It is also kind of an ugly color palette, but it's the 90s, and everything was an ugly color palette. Mm. Yeah, like the bright purples. The purple will get you very bad. But I appreciate her dressing for dinner. And Rory has a real cute plaid cardigan on. I'd wear that. Adorbs. Lorelai is just looking 90s as hell like usual. And then my second complaint is, if you're all rich, if this is the mansion, why is your dining table so small and crappy? Like, that is a little dining table. Even if we put a couple leaves into that, it lacks grandeur. It's funny that you mention that because actually in the next episode, the decor gets kind of a revitalift and everything gets upgraded a little bit. 
And I'm sure they improve upon it, especially if they're having more judgy, you know, family drama meals, which seems to be a set piece for yeah. this show. Could use work. I noticed it. I clocked it immediately. I like the grandma's bitchy. I liked her Nazi joke because of Lorelai being such a douchebag. I think I just feel too weird about it now that I don't find anything closely related to that funny right now. Not poking fun at people who are pro-Nazi or Germans. It's poking fun at Lorelai. So I think it's it's punching in the right direction. So just to give you a little bit of a background, Jillian, because I know you don't know this show. You're new to it. And I know you have a certain perspective. So you don't know. <laughs> no. They are not going to this dinner by choice or pleasure. They're going for obligation. Richard and Emily are paying for Rory's very fancy and expensive school. And the deal is that if they do pay for it, then now Lorelai and Rory have to come to dinner every Friday night. And even without that stated, I kind of gathered it. And also before the show started, they never saw each other. They only saw each other at holidays. What was what's the 60 second take home of Lorelai and her parents drama? She got pregnant at 16. And then when Rory was about one, she left home and just started making a life for herself. And the whole thing is that she just really never fit in with her parents or their life. Okay. Yeah, so that's the 60 seconds. So she's been just kind of doing her own thing. So she's pro Rory going to this this private school. Correct. And that's the reason she is reconciled-ish with her, with her parents. Correct. Rich. But there's 15 years of damage that they have to undo. I, I just feel like Lorelai is still so caught up with these clearly teenage feelings that she's not seeing the situation very clearly. Oh, you pretty much just nailed the premise of this show. I just want to circle back to Emily's outfit real quick because she is still wearing this weird starfish brooch. Unless you're by the shore, a starfish brooch is inappropriate. Thank you. And also, probably ugly anytime. I don't know. I haven't seen it styled every way. But it is a weird choice for where they are and what seems to be autumn. It's a very weird choice. Rolling over to the Gilmore house, we hear Time Bomb by Rancid playing in Rory's room. Oh, my note is, oh, snap, Rancid. <laughs> Love Rancid. Lorelai has a new idea for a reality show called Look Out Your Frickin' Kitchen Window. I would not watch that reality show. Lorelai is watching a tiny TV in the kitchen, which I don't recall ever seeing that kitchen TV before or ever again after this. Also, there's a Chilton bake sale today, and Lorelai promises she has it covered. Uh, who as teenagers in high school had parent-sponsored bake sales? Why would an extremely expensive private prep school need a bake sale is beyond me. It is for stay-at-home moms to get real intense about PTA shit. Like, it, is, <laughs> it serves a purpose. No, I had at least a dozen very solid baking recipes under my belt at 15. Rory, Rory, get your shit together. You're useless. <laughs> no argument here. Rory, ah. Rory references Dolly Madison, which I didn't know the reference, but it's snack cakes. They went out of business in 2012 and was fully acquired by Hostess. You did not know Dolly Madison? I've okay. never okay. heard of Dolly Madison, no. 
We find out that the one who is actually skanking to Rancid in Rory's room is Lane. Also way better than Rory. And I don't know what Lane's deal with this with her family that she cannot skank at home. But by the time they were using that term, it was hilariously. It was like somebody old getting on here and talking about twerking. There's the disconnect from that reference of skanking. <laughs> You're welcome. I do think it's weird that Lorelai didn't have any idea there was another person in her house. These are like teenage children. When my parents had teenage children, if there were like extra children around, they'd be like, oh, there's extra children around. (laughs) Whatever. Our friends were always around. My friends still know my parents. You're Facebook friends with my fucking mom. My mom loves you. And I've never met her. (laughs) You will eventually. Shout out to Mrs. Dooley. We'll be out of quarantine and I'll drag you out to the suburbs. Well, Lane is supposed to be sitting on a park bench thinking about the reunification of the two Koreas. This is in reference to South and North Korea. The Korean Empire split following the Second World War. And more recently, political leaders have talked about reunifying the Koreas by 2045. Did you know that? I didn't actually know that until I looked it up. I mean, you can say a statement like that, but you can also understand what's going on with North Korea and see why you would be skeptical of a statement like that. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even know that that was even being considered, so I thought that was pretty fascinating. Anyway, as fun as that sounds, it's time for school. And on their way out to their daily dues, they pass Maury and Babette Dell while they take their cat Cinnamon on a passagata, which, as Babette says, is Italian for a nice walk because Cinnamon is not doing too well. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want a cat stroller for when Cinnamon comes. The way Finny lies down on the fucking ground and (laughs) just refuses to move. And she's also my best friend. I think that's important for everyone to know. She loves some Rachel. That's Auntie Rachel. That's her aunt. Also, I'm not trying to bring up like a gender conversation here, but two episodes back in Kill Me Now, which I know, Jillian, you did not see, they absolutely refer to Cinnamon as a he- And now it's a very prominent she. So I just wanted to point out that continuity error because it really bothered me. It threw me for a minute. That's just, that's rude to the cat. (laughs) Rory hops on her Hartford bus with way less bags in this episode. Thank goodness. But oh wait, creep teen Dean sees her. So he does what any creep teen would do is he follows her onto the bus. And his name is Dean and the show Dean is better brother. I know. Where baby Sam Winchester, who is in this episode and being annoying and basic, he's just very brown shoes. And also, why are you getting all nervous for this fucking turd? He's not he's not good looking, Rory. He's just tall. Just tall. You don't love him. He's just tall. <laughs> Thing you need to remember, and a lot of women need to remember. You don't love him. He's just tall. I'm definitely keeping that in. I'm not editing that out. That was perfect. (laughs) On the bus, Rory is reading A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. And and Dean is being so creepy, but I feel like if I were Rory at that age, at that time, like back in 2000, and a boy, a really cute boy had done this to me when I was in high school like that, I think I would have been into it. But now I just look at it as being real creepy. No. I don't know. It's, you know, teenagers, and they're all pretty crap at interpersonal relationships, and everybody thinks they're much cooler than they are. So, that. 
Next, we have over to the Independence Inn, where we see some very lovely Frenchmen enter. But I'm sorry, sir, I can't help you. I'm just a simple man from Texas. Like the bitchy Frenchman. Like, I'm into him. Bring me, like, I don't understand why he's bitchy about being French to these other French, unless they're like, Quebecois? I don't know. What's the disconnect there? That's just Michelle's character. It's very on brand. Actually, Michelle, uh, the actor is Quebecois, so he's French-Canadian. I wouldn't expect it reverse form, like Quebecois French to be rude about French French. Oh, no, the actor who plays Michelle, Yannick Truesdale, is Quebecois, not the character. Actually, the character of Michelle is notably from Paris. Yeah. I I didn't get that. I did not get the impetus for the scene. It didn't make any sense. It continues to not make sense. But I love a bitchy Frenchman. He gives me a little gay vibes, and I like that too. Could just be French vibes. They're very similar to gay vibes. But I like him, and he's fun, and he's non-white, so, like, bring it. It's never really come out and said specifically about Michelle being queer, but in one of the most recent episodes, you kind of finally find out. I think that it just didn't happen back then because it was 2000, because it was on the WB. But that wasn't on CW, was it? It was on like WB. Was it? Same shit. Yeah, same 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 then. They went full on gay lesbian. I don't know. Well, this is what the Frenchmen are saying. So the Frenchmen are asking Michelle, are you French? Do you speak French? Michelle pretends to not understand. The Frenchman continues, your accent is French. Do you speak French? And thanks to Lorelai, Michelle gives in and says in French, hello, gentlemen, my name is Michelle. I will be assisting you this evening. And the Frenchmen say, ha ha, it was a joke. Very funny, very funny, Michelle. Yes, the French love, uh, who is that fucking guy? Jerry Lewis. They love Jerry uh, Lewis. Which is, they really like it. Like, it's dumb and slapsticky. So, of course, like, that is very, that, that's in tune. We're going to cut back to Chilton to the weird-ass bake sale scene that I still don't understand. And Suki has gone over the top as usual. We have French fantasies, American treats, and Italian taste sensations. American treats is just a huge gingerbread house with a fruit tart and a bowl of strawberries. Italian taste sensations would be my favorite table because it has tiramisu cake, which is my fave. As well as creme brulee, for some reason, because that's French. It, it is French. It's a, it's a French custard. Well, there's also more cakes and another watermelon swan. I didn't know what your moussou was your favorite. I'll make it. Aww. Oh, don't get me wrong. I fucking loved that lemon cake. That lemon cake was bomb. It's trying to, like, do something in 3D. It, it kind of looked like it. It did kind of look like <laughs> To my listeners, my birthday was a few weeks ago, and Jillian is such a good friend of mine that she made a cake with my face on it. I'll post a picture. It was very cute. It's a very abstract face. Any What were we even talking Oh, we're talking about the bake sale. I love Sookie. Sookie is fucking extra in the kitchen, like I am extra in the kitchen. Oh yeah, I knew you were gonna like Suki. And I love Melissa McCarthy, like I love her. Adorbs. Yeah. So funny. 
Suki also, of course, sets the table on fire, and Lorelai grabs some nearby lemonade to put it out, and these old rich bitches give her, like, the nastiest look. I mean, like, fuck these women. They should have helped put it out in the first place. Oh my goodness, table on fire. Oh, we'll help. They're just like, ew, you used our terrible lemonade that's probably full of artificial sweetener. And here we go. Mr. Medina swaggers himself in right on over to Henry VIII's house. Henry VIII, of course, was the King of England in the 16th century, known for lavish banquets and also known for other things. I think have wives, but whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, side note. But here we go, everyone. It's finally the moment when Max Medina asks out Lorelai Gilmore. Ooh la la. Ooh, fancy teacher. They chit-chat and they struggle a little bit, but they land on getting coffee. And Lorelai says one of my favorite and most used quotes, which I have incorporated into my daily life, which is, do you drink coffee? Only with my oxygen. In that scene, we all did our hair that way. And underneath that poop in the back is a claw clip. Yep. It is. Oh, 100%. Moving on to the next scene, Philadelphia. If you could pick anywhere to live, you'd pick Philadelphia. Well, M. Night Shyamalan lives there. They think M. Night Shyamalan is cool still? Oh, Oh, right. We had such high hopes for you, M. Night. We thought you could do so much. Ugh, man. Jillian, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was in film school, I took an M. Night Shyamalan class. Because I really liked M. Night Shyamalan. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What what year was it? 2005 or 2006. Oh my God, tell me everything. Well, it was a really great class. I got to learn a lot about his method and his first films, especially the movie Unbreakable. Unbreakable was amazing though. Like Unbreakable had an impressive subtlety that he lost. It was incredible, and I really had this amazing respect for just the details. And that was the thing, is that we learned how M. Night made his film, and he was incredibly detailed. He had scene-by-scene notes. He knew exactly what to do. The success when it was out was a mind-blower. Absolutely. I really like The Village, too. I actually love that I film. I love The Village, I love too. The Village. Any of the stuff that he's done the last, oh, five to six years have been just absolute trash, and, and, and we're disappointed. Do you know the story about what happened? Why oh. he, that switch happened? Because I do, because I took the class. Basically, M. Night had all this pull. And so he said, I have this story that I tell to my kids. It's like a bedtime story and I want to make it into a movie. And his studio was like, hell no, this sounds stupid. This isn't what you do. This isn't the movies we make with you. We're not doing it. And so M. Night was like, fuck you. I'm M. Night Shyamalan. I want to make this film. I'm going to go over here and make this film. And so I want to say he took it to Disney. And or Lady in the Water. So he took this film to a different studio and the studio was like, well, it's M. Night Shyamalan. Of course we'll do your movie because you're M. Night Shyamalan. And Jillian, for that class, I had to write a paper about Lady in the Water because it was his first film that kind of veered away. I had to watch that movie 12 times. And because of that, I hope that M. Night Shyamalan dies a slow and painful death. Okay, I think I've talked more than enough about M. Night Shyamalan. It's giving me anxiety. (laughs) Let's move back over to Lane and Rory. 
So Lane wants to move to Philadelphia to be near M. Night Shyamalan, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Lane is not a cinephile. She's a very well known and understood audiophile. Either way, Lane and Roy are walking together through the town of Stars Hollow, discussing one of Lane's many bad ideas that she has throughout this show. And once again, they come across Babette and Maury with their cat, Cinnamon. Cinnamon and Maury are dyspeptic, which is indigestion, that they apparently both got from eating clams at Al's Pancake World. Well, she had a coupon. Eat your old cat sketchy clams. (laughs) Why? Why At minute 12 and 25 seconds, as Maury and Babette turn around to go, you can very obviously see the Hollywood Hills in the background. And when I saw it, I started cracking up because I was like, that's not Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. It's so bad. It's like, wow, you're not even trying to hide it. They all try more in the second season. They do. And the second season is a lot better. Rory wants to stalk Dean at the market, but she's being an asshole to Lane about it. So don't abandon your friends for a guy. That's my I PSA. Why don't you just tell your little yeah. about your crush. Just That's tell little high school girlfriends are for. Exactly. I told my best friend Amber everything all the time about guys, and she hated oh it, God. but I kept telling well, her about you it. Talk, you talk about like dumb music. And then the idiot boys that you like. Exactly. We go right into Rory stalking, which is teenage girl all over. Yeah. 100%. Stalking pros. They love to stalk. I can't pretend like I didn't. I will neither confirm nor deny that I was like that as a teenage girl also. Well, milk is only 99 cents at Dosi's Market, though, so they have that going for them. And then we move over and we see Patty picking out some fruit. And Miss Patty in this scene is 100% future me. What is with curvy produce lady? Why? This is a very weird C plot. I don't really know. But speaking of the assistant manager, that is Kirk. And I got to talk about Kirk for a second because Kirk enters and Kirk is finally Kirk. Now, Jillian, again, this is your first episode. You don't know who Kirk is. Kirk is a very beloved character throughout the show. This is not what he is normally like. And in the first four episodes, he wasn't Kirk. He was Mick and he was Swan Guy and he was different people. But now he is officially Kirk. And he will continue to be Kirk, and he is a very weird and wacky character. I'll show you something of Kirk later. Why is he weird and wacky, and why is he beloved? I'll have to show you some clips for you to really understand, and I will when we're done. I'll show you actually a very specific clip. For listeners out there, I'm going to show her Kirk's film. Going back, though, one thing that does really bother me in this scene is that Kirk is supposed to be a lifelong resident of Stars Hollow. He grew up there, and yet Patty doesn't know who he is, which just can't be canon. So I have to resolve to the fact that he is just being weird Kirk and is pretending to play a part, and Patty has to just play along with it. It's the only way I can reconcile this scene. Wait, where is Stars Hollow? Where are we? In Connecticut. Oh, okay. Moving along, while Rory is trying to buy lettuce and a mousetrap with only a dollar, you know, so she can stalk Creepteen Dean, you can see an alien head in the foreground. It says alien pops, but I don't see any pops. Anyway, I just thought that that was a fun little set detail. 
<laughs> That's all. Weird alien head. We cut over to a very different but very New England looking street. And this is really fun. You can see a sign that says No Fish Today Restaurant. That is really in Hartford, Connecticut at 80 Pratt Street, which means they actually took B-roll of Hartford, Connecticut. But unfortunately, that restaurant closed this year. I'm going to assume it was because of COVID-related economy problems. So Lorelai walks into a coffee shop. And wow, Max Medina just happens to be there. Lorelai wearing, she is wearing 90s purple that is the purple of the 90s friends that violet tinged purple ah and it was everywhere it was everywhere Longtime viewers might think this coffee shop looks a little familiar that's because it shows up again in season four with a slight decor change even though i opened this scene talking about how the outside was actually shot in hartford connecticut the actual location of inside the coffee shop is on the warner brothers lot and this coffee shop is technically just around the corner from patty's dance studio but we're not supposed to know that. So Max and Lorelai sit next to each other with black coffees and discuss the possibility of dating. Lorelai wants to be in the Bengals, but that doesn't mean she's gonna quit her job. And she's attracted to pie, but doesn't mean she wants to date pie. I also use that quote all the time. It is fair. Basically, Lorelai is resistant and with good reasoning. Max is frustrated and asks if there's hemlock or arsenic he could use. I can't understand that this woman would have misgivings about dating the teacher of her child. And just to reference hemlock real quick, for those who are not familiar, Hemlock is a flowering plant. It's actually in the carrot family, which is pretty interesting, but is most famous for being the means of the philosopher Socrates dying by suicide. He took hemlock. Anyway, let's talk about Max and Lorelai. Okay, so how do you feel about this? Do you think that Lorelai is right to be hesitant? Or do you think that she should just go for it? He is a teacher, which is a good job and has a nice head of hair, despite not dressing for his best advantage, he is a solid catch. And if they are properly in a small town like they claim, like, you know, you can't be all just blowing off all these decent catches. It's not like they're all everywhere. You're in a small town. What are you gonna do? Date that assistant manager? I don't care how beloved. (laughs) It's not a good match. Lorelai claims to like Italian food and rap music, which is absolute bullshit. Fuckers listen to rap music. Absolutely not. Break with your whatever. And then this fucking guy sits down. Like fuck that guy. Why? Who sits in between two people who are clearly having a conversation? I don't care how Connecticut you are. Give me a fucking break. You're going to sit between two people who are having an animated conversation and you're going to sit right between them? That is because you are a bitch that loves drama. Max tells this story about his uncle and how he lost the love of his life. Do you think it's true? I don't know. He, He lived next to a girl and then she moved away and he never got to tell her that he loved her and he missed his chance. 
That sounds annoying. Whatever. You sound annoying. Yeah, to me, it seemed a little manipulative, honestly. Seems like some kind of non sequitur garbage that some dumb man will tell you. Yeah. And don't listen to dumb things dumb men tell you. That's a take home. Miss Rachel pointing her finger at me like, mm hmm. In the next scene, Suki and Lorelai are enjoying lunch at Luke's. Lorelai is telling her about Mr. Medina. Says, life is a funny, funny thing. Suki says, Jim Carrey is funny. Jim Carrey is a very popular actor, has been working since the 80s. At the time of this episode airing, Jim Carrey's most recent film would have been Me, Myself, and Irene and would shortly be followed up by How the Grinch Stole Christmas. There's only one of those movies that I enjoy. I won't say which. It's weird looking back on this 20 years later. I don't feel like the years have been good to Jim Carrey And I don't necessarily have a specific bad feeling toward him, but there's some mess there. Everything that happened with his girlfriend, there's some other rumor mills going around about him. A lot of it was messy. Well, Lorelai didn't mean funny ha-ha, she meant funny strange. So Suki goes, oh, very serious. Jean-Paul Sartre. Jean-Paul Sartre was a French philosopher and writer and existentialist also known for Marxism. Also coming up next, this is yet another scene in which Suki is being incredibly inappropriate. I love it, but also I would have yelled at Suki's ass. Are you kidding me? There's a reason Luke doesn't like you, even though Luke seems like he sucks, and we will get into that. You barely know Luke. Luke does not appreciate a well-set-up buffet for a large crowd of people, so he sucks. Why is Suki garnishing plates that have already made it to the customer? Wildly inappropriate, and that is full-on only TV trope shit. People will call the police on you if you go behind the counter at a restaurant you don't work at. Well, they all know each other, but you don't do yoga on the Dalai Lama's mat and you don't come behind Luke's counter. The Dalai Lama is known as the spiritual head of Tibetan Buddhism. I mean, I can kind of see where they're going with, we want to manufacture a issue between the best friend of protagonist and possible love interest of protagonist, which seems unnecessary and a little anti-woman. Interesting. I didn't think about it that way before. I mean, I've only ever seen this episode, but it seems a little bit obvious that they are introducing Luke as a possible end you know romantic interest for Lorelai am I wrong I love that you came up with that in just one episode especially in an episode where it's not obvious and I'm not going to reveal anything because this is no spoilers podcast but I find that extremely fascinating that you still picked up on it not knowing anything about this show I I think advertising it. I think they're very obviously advertising it. It's not like this teacher thing is going anywhere. They dress him so badly. If they liked him better, they would dress him better. (laughs) Lorelai is wearing her very frosty blue eyeshadow and mentions that it would be nice to get, you know, Suki doesn't know. Jed knows. Suki, (laughs) she wants some D. She wants some D. We all want some D. Look, look. Sometimes a girl just gotta get that D. Sometimes a girl just gotta get that P or that V. Women have sexual urges just like anybody else. 
I also want to talk about Jed for a sec, a.k.a. the open-faced turkey. Jed is played by Floyd Van Buskirk, and he will also appear in Gilmore Girls again in season five. Luke comes back and catches Suki passing out parsley for whatever reason. We finally see real Luke. The first couple of episodes, Luke has been... Kind of boring, not quite himself, very monotone, still figuring out his character. But here we see him yelling and being witty, which is the Luke we come to know and love. So he has regular, intense outbursts uh-huh. of sort. Uh-huh. That's a sign. Ladies, what led up to this? And why don't you season your food, Luke? Why aren't you putting a garnish on there? You don't like cayenne? I put fucking cayenne in everything. This is a really good example of why I'm doing this podcast now in 2020 because, you know, the past two decades, we love Luke and we love all the guys in here, especially in 2000 when the guys come up. There's always a thing about like, oh, which guy from Gilmore Girls do you like? When we look back at it, now that we're in 2020, we're looking at it through different lenses as well. And these men have a lot of issues. And it's not that we found them bad at the time. Exactly. A lot of this is a little bit of hindsight, seeing what would be acceptable behavior now for a woke man. Well, despite that heated moment between Suki and Luke, they do try to go back to their nice meal until Rory runs in with some bad news. Something's wrong with cinnamon. Well, I mean, my notes for the cat dying are, oh no, dead pets bum me out. I don't like this. I know, I know. I don't like it either. It really bothers me to think about pets dying because I get freaked out about my cats dying all the time. But we left off Rory and Lorelai at Luke's and now we're on our way. Why does she know? I feel like it's not been established. She's probably home and saw the vet pull up. All right. Rory is perpetrating some very 90s fashion, but it's like solid 90s fashion in this. It's like a medium denim jacket with a little bit of funky flair on the seams. Like, it looks good. Yeah. Good. like it. Now I have something very important to tell you. Okay. Okay? I actually love Lorelai's outfit in this scene. She's wearing a red turtleneck. It's a mock turtle. I don't care. I love it. I love it. No, it's good. The color is lovely. The nice wine color. It is still incredibly 90. I would wear that outfit today. I felt like it looked a lot more vintage, which is a little bit more my style. I don't hate it. So we are back at Bad Bat and Maury's. The Stars Hollow Animal Hospital van is parked out front. The vet credited as Jeannie is played by Delani Michelle, who is also an American writer, named after one of her French ancestors, Helene Delaunay, who was part of the court of Marie Antoinette. So the veterinarian is related to someone who was in the court of Marie Antoinette. The vet says cinnamon was 260 years old in human years. Now, I searched on the internet and literally could not find a cat age calculator that went up that high. The highest I could do was 25 years. Comparing, you know, oh, dogs, you know, a dog year is seven years. Like, a vet is not going to do that. These these are people who are very extensively trained scientific types, and they're not telling you dumb bullshit. 
I know, but they probably keep that information in the back of their mind, you know, just to make people feel better. I don't know. I, uh... Babette and Maury are taking it really hard. Actually, I think Maury is taking it harder than Babette. The husband is fine. Babette, what is that accent? I've seen her in a million things, and she's not a shit actor. The accent is like 1920s bluesy. It's, it's very weird. I hate all of it. I hate her in this. Oh, wow. Maury and Rory promise to never eat clams again. And I just want to announce my promise to stand in solidarity with them that I will also never eat clams again. But it's mostly because I yeah. think they're disgusting. Never, never, never. I always think of the part in the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous with Kristen Dunst. And her character says, they're at the buff- the seafood buffet, and she goes, yeah. I'm not going to eat these because my mom always says, you don't want to eat anything that moves in its own house because you don't know how clean they keep it. And I was like, I've kept that with me, even though it was like a joke. And it also was what ended up making everybody sick. But like, I've kept that with me all these years. Well, people are gathering at the Dell's residence. We shall celebrate old lady cinnamon. Michelle walks in, calls Jed Hee-Haw Man. He's referencing the 1960s country music variety show, Hee-Haw. Okay. Behind Michelle is actually a pretty cool painting that I would actually buy. But across from him and behind Jed is a cross stitch that says, no cross, no crown. And this was really weird because no cross, no crown is the title of one of the most chief works of William Penn, who published it in 1669. And it's all about returning to primitive Christianity. And it's weird, but it's also a gospel song. And none of these are on brand for the Dell household. I don't know. Maybe she found it at a thrift store. Not this person found it at the shoe store. Some individual curated a scene for television, and that's what made it in. So in that kind of vein, where did it come from? Sometime later into the party, Dean shows up, and once again, Rory is afraid of Dean. Trust that instinct, Rory. Run away! Run away! But for the time being, she runs outside and is stopped by seeing her teacher over at her house. Mr. Medina, why is my literature teacher at my house? Oops. Lorelai forgot to tell her. Max says, Lorelai, I like you, but I don't want to force something on you that you don't want. But he literally pressured her to go out with him this entire episode. Lorelai, you've just given me a full explanation in a reasonable way for why you forgot about our date, and I have flatly not believed you, and it is not charming. Indeed. It is not charming. It seems like she reasonably, because her neighbor is now in a crisis, and if my crazy neighbor is like, oh, my pet died unexpectedly and I'm very upset about it, I would also be very upset about that. And he's like, oh, well, if you just don't want to talk to me and hang out with me, if that's what it's really like, and that's some bullshit. Well, despite Max being kind of a turd in this scene, they both promise to reschedule and Max gets back into his shiny blue Mustang, which is okay. I'm not sure that seems exactly on brand for Max, but it's there. Now we switch back over to the wake. 
Luke made meatloaf and put ketchup on top, which apparently to Suki is a crime. And I'm here to voice my support and side with Luke on this. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up eating meatloaf. We put ketchup on our meatloaf. I'm a vegetarian now, but I make a really yummy lentil loaf. And I still put ketchup on that as God intended. I do not do meatloaf, but I thought ketchup on top was kind of a standard. Yeah, for the it taste. is. Like, I love ketchup. I just don't like a lot of things that ketchup goes on nicely. But I love ketchup. Well, Babette is cleaning out Cinnamon's medicine cabinet. And Lorelai says, it's like a scene from the kitty version of Valley of the Dolls. Valley of the Dolls is a book and film from the 60s about three women trying to make it big and spiraling out in sex and drug addiction. You don't need to tell me. I've read and watched, of course. After, like, she's talking to Babette about how, oh, I can't find a man. And Babette's like, look, bitch, you're gorgeous. You can't find a fucking man? And she's like, no, I want the few loves all of me. Even my outrageous, crazy lady craziness, which is very shitty 90s anti-woman. I'm so high maintenance. How could any man love me? Girl, come on. And Babette is like, oh, well, you know, let me know how it goes. Have you slept with them yet? Go ahead and slept with them. Oh, but I'll call you. I'll call you when we're having the cigarette. I'll call you after we fucked and it's slightly after the fucking and now we're having cigarettes after fuck. I think it's a cute joke. I would not tell a substantially older woman of my acquaintance <laughs> when we were having a funny chit chat about my love life oh after i fuck this dude i will call you shortly after fucking this dude no inappropriate well now i know to never make that offer to you this is the third time that oprah has been brought up in five episodes and i just think that's so funny because Oprah was so such a part of our lives. I, I know. And like at this point in particular history, Oprah was basically unassailable, which is not the case these days. Oprah has always been a proponent of some real fucking crackpot science. And she's she's always been full on with shitty, shitty fucking fad diets like the whole diet industry is very dangerous and very shitty and very unhealthful and i've very much been from a long time very against it and oprah has always bought into that wholesale and pushed it in a dangerous way she's also a billionaire and i'm pretty sure she doesn't want to give that up she doesn't want to give that up, which is why she props up the fucking shitty nastiness she props up. You want to switch gears and talk about this conversation with Babette and Lorelai and how sad it is when a pet dies? It's very sad. In, in an overreaching fashion, these days, yes, for a lot of couples, their child is their pet. And they treated the cat like their child. And I get that. In real moments of any of this show, how you feel about your pet. And yeah. I feel the same way. Aww. Have you told your pets today how beautiful and darling and precious and perfect they are? I tell them every day. 
I actually started an Instagram account for them because I had so many photos of my cats on my phone that it was becoming an issue and taking up space. So I started an Instagram for them simply so that I have a place to put my photos and I can go and look at them whenever I want. But it's also a cute little cat Instagram. It's uh, Tonks underscore and underscore Winnie on Instagram. And I can post that link as well. Adorable. Maury starts playing a song. It's Cinnamon's song. I Thought About You by John Mercer. You know, I hated pervy produce lady, but her bringing in some bongos during this number, solid. Rory is outside alone in the quite amazing gnome garden that completely freaks me out personally, but to each their own. When Dean approaches, Rory finally confesses to Dean that she is interested, but then promptly runs away. And in the background, we hear Truly Truly by Grantley Buffalo. Roy runs away, as she should, far, far away from Dean Roy. Just keep on running and don't turn back. But she runs into Lorelai, and she finally explains what's going on to Roy because it would have come out eventually like the Iran-Contra scandal. And wow, what a reference. A weird reference, a dated <laughs> reference for sure. Uh, for those out there who do not know, and I say Iran, do not say Iran, Iran, Contra scandal occurred during the second term of the Reagan administration, where senior administration officials secretly facilitated the illegal sale of firearms to the government of the Republic of Iran in order to use the proceeds of the arms sales to the right-wing rebel groups against the socialist Sandinista organization in Nicaragua that wanted the U.S. to vacate. And the funding of this was prohibited by the U.S. Congress and everybody got caught. So they call out Oliver North and Fawn Hall because Fawn Hall was much prettier. Oliver North was a political commentator at the time and a White House staff and was involved in the scandal. Fawn Hall was Oliver North's secretary at the time and she helped him hide the scandal by shredding documents. Both Fawn and Oliver were indicted but never charged because the Reagan administration sucked and was pure evil and ruined America. Take that. What? Wouldn't you know? (laughs) Self-interested pieces of shit. Well, as they're discussing Lorelai dating Rory's teacher, Lorelai says, you can't always control who you're attracted to. Angelina and Billy Bob Thornton is a prime example of that. And now I don't care about them. I didn't care about them then. I don't care about them now. It was a weird coupling then. He was old and weird, and she had weird father issues because her father is terrible. Yeah. Mm. It's not like wonderful love story, this weird kind of oddball daddy issues coupling. Nah. Nah. Nope. The night is over. Everyone's gone. Rory and Lorelai say goodbye and walk home. Maury asks to sit outside while they look at the stars together. And I love Maury and Babette here. So much love and support. Such a good relationship. You don't you don't like them there? Uh, I just, you know, I I find her cartoony and him whatever. At this point, you know, golden age of television 
the quality and reality of media that we're consuming these days is at another level. It's at another level. Yeah. And worse in the 80s, less bad in the 90s. TV was not real life. It was not reality. It was not the level of reality that we see in the consumable entertainment that we enjoy now. And we knew it and appreciated it then and prior to. Like, that was really always the history of entertainment. It was not real life. And the level of reality and pathos and empathy that we we deal with in our of entertainment now with some of these high-level dramas... It, it, it's a it's a different thing. It's a to it's totally different world and envisioning of entertainment that we have now that we do not have then. Yeah, very eloquently put. I like that. We're gonna wrap up this episode. What happened at the end of the episode? The Gilmore girls walk back home and they walk into the living room through their side door, which I'm not sure ever happens again. But I did do some research and I went through a bunch of the episodes, including the revival episodes, and did confirm that that door is always there. As they walk in, the phone is ringing. It's Emily. She's horrified that Lorelai missed her father's grandmother's sister's girl's funeral for a cat funeral. They quickly say goodnight so Lorelai can rest up for tomorrow's raccoon wedding. Love that, Emily Byrne. And you can tell that Lorelai kind of enjoys it. Like, she definitely respects it. But when she gets off the phone, Lorelai's first response is, she's working for a sedative company, keeping that demand sky high. And as they talk around the kitchen, you see in the background that Lorelai appears to have a small salt and pepper shaker collection. On top of the microwave in the background, you can see salt and pepper puppies, coffee cups, cacti, and pigs. Love it. Yeah. Adorbs. They finish the discussion of Lorelai dating Max, and this is tried-and-true murky parent-child flip-flop scene between Lorelai and Rory, where you never know who is the who is the parent and who is the child but I don't hate this one I actually kind of appreciate it because at least she's being honest and open I definitely have never had that relationship with my parents I mean my feeling my parents I don't tell them about any men that I'm dating because as soon as I mention someone they get entirely too attached Aww. because they're still living in this fantasy where Jillian is a woman who will settle down and have children and be a normal human and that is not reality. I don't want to have children at all. That's never changing. Lucky for me, I don't have that problem anymore. I think that they have given up or hopefully just accepted that this is the lifestyle that I wish to have. But luckily for them, they have plenty of grandchildren to keep them happy. Do, do, do. Now we have arrived at the arts and entertainment shelf, but hold on a second. Alert, alert. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, so I do not have a recording of the arts and entertainment shelf with my guest, Jillian. I did re-record it because it's important to me to have that element of my show, and I will get to the list in just a moment. But before we go there, I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about ways you can support Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, please subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. 
This is really important to help podcasters get ratings and reach more people. You can also help us by following along on Instagram at @starshollowpod, subscribing, liking posts, sharing posts, etc. Tell your friends about the podcast, or maybe you're in a Gilmore Girls Facebook group or book club or anything. If you let them know about the podcast, that really helps widen our audience. Lastly, and honestly, most topical, the Welcome to Stars Hollow Patreon page. You can find us on Patreon. Just search for Welcome to Stars Hollow podcast. There's lots of great opportunities to support Welcome to Stars Hollow and get really cool extras and fun gifts. And really, even a dollar a month helps. If you didn't know, this is just a me podcast. I research, write, edit, and record everything by myself. I invite my guests to come along and join with me, but I do all of the background work. And it's a lot, especially because I have a full-time job. On top of which, it is just me and my laptop. That's it. My Surface Pro. That's as good as it gets right now. I use a free editing and recording service. That's about it. Everything else is all me. Doing things like supporting the Patreon, rating and subscribing, and telling your friends not only helps the podcast, but can help me get better equipment so I can give all of you an even better podcast. That means better tools, microphones, editing software, the works, because I really don't want to ever have to have this happen again. Thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you appreciate it. And thanks for having that conversation with me. Now it's settled, let's walk over to the library to the Arts and Entertainment Shelf. First on the Arts and Entertainment Shelf is music. The music referenced in this episode is Time Bomb by Rancid, I Thought About You by John Mercer, Truly Truly by Grantley Buffalo, and the Bangles. The movies referenced in this episode are The Sixth Sense by M. Night Shyamalan, and of course we mentioned many other of his films in this episode of the podcast, including The Village and Unbreakable, as well as Valley of the Dells, which of course is also a book. And then moving right along to the books on our shelf, John Paul Sartre, the writer and philosopher, Valley of the Dolls by Jacqueline Suzanne, and A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. And the only TV reference in this episode? Hee-haw! Well, that is it for the arts and entertainment shelf. And that is it for episode five, Cinnamon's Wake of Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to join with you next time. This has been Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. For more episodes, make sure to subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. For extra fun, find us on Instagram at at Stars Hollow Pod. We're keeping a night today because I'm drunk on a full bottle of wine, and I opened a second bottle of wine. So I drank a full bottle of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love you so much.